There's not a preacher in the world that would not like to preach after hearing you sing that song. Love uh, the energy and the message of that song. Thank you uh, so much. You are a very special church to us. You sent a wonderful team of adults to uh, Rhode Island, to Providence, Rhode Island this summer uh, uh, in July. And uh, this team prepared well served tirelessly, shared the gospel fruitfully, got down in the dirt and played with kids, uh, taught us some new crafts and cool things that we had never seen before. We've been doing this for years, a lot of fun, and drove for hours and hours and hours to do it, uh, all the way up and back. I wish all of you could have seen your team somehow. Um, You would have been proud of them and excited and thankful for them as we were. You've also sent to us Elizabeth Berry, Uh, for which we are deeply, deeply grateful. And I understand you sent her a little bit reluctantly also, and we understand that. Elizabeth, in the 15 months that she's been in New England, has embedded herself deeply in the culture of Central Falls, a a city marked by uh, about 70% uh, Latino uh, men and women and children, uh, 70% Spanish-speaking. For someone who's lived in Rhode Island since 1994, Uh, going just to this little city feels like leaving, uh, not just Rhode Island, feels like leaving the the States. Uh, It's a very strong uh, culture. And um, the the work there is hard. Elizabeth is learning Spanish quickly. And um, loving children who at first cursed her, literally, just curse at her uh, to her face. And she keeps coming back day after day. And uh, a little bit like what Candace said earlier, why, why are you here? Why are you here? Nobody comes here. Nobody wants to be here. And they didn't expect her to come back the next day. Day after day, she'd come back the next day. I wish you could also somehow invisibly, uh, and I wish I could too, uh, follow Elizabeth around for a week and watch her uh, love kids that uh, often feel entirely unloved. She's serving Christ with love and sacrifice. Well, since we plant churches in urban poor communities, I want to look together this morning at this statement, a statement that Jesus makes in Luke chapter 7, 22. We're not going to go there. Don't turn there. But he made this statement as he began his ministry. The poor have good news preached to them. And so I want to ask the question, what exactly is this good news that's preached to the poor? What's he referring to there? But I want us to answer this question, not just because we serve in areas, we serve in areas characterized by uh, material poverty. We need to answer this question also because some of us ourselves may be feeling the effects of poverty in one way or another. Material poverty, poverty in in the form of lack of solutions to problems, broken relationships that have left you feeling weak, and alone, unable to succeed or to support yourself. And even if we are not living in a context in any way that seems like poverty to you, I want to ask you, I want to urge you this morning, in these next few moments together, to engage with God's heart toward those who are. Because God has a special concern for the poor 
from the, from, from the Old Testament through to the uh, end of the New Testament, God demonstrates a special concern for the least, the last, and the lost. And so he shares us, he, he calls us as Christians to share with him in that concern. So what is the good news preached to the poor? I think a great place to answer this question is in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, in this story that we often refer to as the feeding of the 5,000. So would you keep that open in front of you? We're going to walk through the passage, uh, un uncover the details of it, in, a pro in the process of answering this question, what is this good news preached to the poor? Look at the scope of the problem that John sets up for us. He makes it really clear what he wants us to feel as we read this passage. He wants us to feel overwhelmed. Start with me uh, back in verse uh, two. A large crowd was following Jesus. Same in verse five. We're gonna learn that there are 5,000 men, and he literally means men, so there are probably maybe 15 to 30,000 people total. Um, somebody help me out here. I, I just know Fenway Park in Boston. That's all you really need to know. But um, Tropicana Field, what's the, well, how many does it hold? Does anybody know? I didn't look it up. 30, 40,000? Something like that? Ballpark? Oh, sorry, that's a bad pun. <laughs> I, I didn't do that on purpose. It just <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about a crowd. This is a large crowd of, of, of people. Verse 5, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? They look around, and here's this, maybe 30,000 people, and they've got no food with them. They're hungry. Jesus doesn't want to send them away hungry. Verse 7, Philip says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little a, a little food. We're talking about maybe $40,000 in today's uh, uh, numbers. Who's got $40,000, Lord? We, can, we can't feed all these people. Andrew turns and he, in verse 9, you see it in verse 9, he turns, here's, a, here's a, a little boy, and he's got two loaves of bread and uh, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And um, since we're talking about a ballpark, can you imagine like you're standing on the mound and, you, and, the, and the, the stadium is full and you're saying to one another, we've got to feed all these people. And somebody, some little boy walks up and he says, well, I've got a couple hot dogs. That's really what we're talking about here. Overwhelming problem. And John, uh, I, I hope you... I hope you love the details of God's Word, and, and as you get to know John, uh, uh, the Gospel of John and the letters of John, you, you find that he gets double meaning out of a lot of things, sometimes triple meaning out of a lot of things, and he, he's pointing out that there's a, a boy here, and he also points out the detail that it's barley loaves. And in the hierarchy of bread quality, um, barley is the bottom. This is junk bread. And it's a boy that has it. Kids in the ancient Near East at this time were not um, valued the way we value you, young people. 
They're just, they're just waiting to grow up. They're just in the way. They're, they're, they're not really worth anything in society until they become adults at age 13-ish. So here's a boy, valueless, with low-value bread and so little of it that it's not worth even... This is just a joke to try to feed all these people. John has set up a story for us so that we feel the massive scope of this problem. Where in the world do you begin to solve this? This summer, uh, in, in one of the parks that we worked in, not during the week uh, that your team was there, we met a man in his 20s who had been living in the park for a couple of months. He'd been working at Chili's restaurant, uh, living with his girlfriend, but his girlfriend moved on. He got depressed. He didn't know where to get help, so he started drinking. He lost his job because of it. Then he lost his apartment because he couldn't pay for it. And now he's living in the park. And as we talked with him, you, just, you felt his pain. And you could see sort of how he got there. And it just it felt overwhelming. And then you multiply this statewide, nationwide, worldwide, and you just feel this weight of overwhelm. Who's going who's gonna to do anything about this? 30% of the world lives on less than $3.20 a day. The nations among whom we want to see God glorified, many of them are characterized by poverty. The scope of the problem is massive. And just as it did to the disciples on the hill facing tens of thousands of people who were hungry, it should feel weighty and massive to us as well. And here's the thing, it's not just a problem that's out there. John wants to draw our attention also to the spiritual poverty of our own souls. Your soul and my soul, which apart from Jesus is just as desperate. Friends, our natural born condition is spiritual poverty, bankruptcy. It's death. And, we, and it's a massive problem. In fact, it's a complete problem. We can do nothing about it. Second, John shows us the scope of the solution. This is the fun part. Verse 11, uh, uh, let's look back at 11, uh, 12, and 13. Jesus then took the loaves. And I'm going to stop there for a second. Jesus. So here's the hinge in the story. If you're reading Romans, it's often the word but. Here it's Jesus. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. 
And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves by those who had eaten. Do you see what just happened? If you've been a Christian for a number of years, if you've been reading this story uh, for, for years, it's just so easy to just read this. Cool. Jesus just fed a bunch of people. I want you to go back to the ballpark and realize what just happened. The, the five hot dogs just fed all 30,000 people because just, Jesus just prayed over them and then they distributed them. And, and Jesus doesn't just squeak out a solution. Jesus is not over in the corner um, taking IV and oxygen because he's completely depleted having spent all of, all of his being on trying to make this happen. Jesus just, with his word, he prays over these and he distributes, that, uh, distributes the food. And 12 basketfuls of leftovers are gathered. This should uh, send off bells in your head. 12, wait, 12, what's that about? I think what he's doing is he's drawing on the, complete, the completeness that 12 represents, 12 tribes of Israel, uh, 12 disciples. Maybe that's not in mind quite as much. They're related to the 12 tribes. But the 12 tribes, that means everybody. Everybody's included. Nobody's left out. Everybody has been filled to lavish overflowing out of this little bit because it's Jesus that did it. Jesus is here and he fixes the problem. The people are hungry and empty. Now the people are satisfied and filled. And by the way, this is the theme of the book of Colossians. Paul teaches us there that we don't need to look anywhere else to fill our lives except to Jesus Christ. This Christ is, is what fills us and satisfies us. Jesus alone brings fullness. When we're empty, we often, however, look elsewhere, don't we? Feel emptiness. We, we don't even quite know what it is. We don't always know what, what, what to say this feeling is that I have. And so often it's emptiness. And so we look to other people often. We look to things sometimes, but often we look to others. And in our emptiness, we grow demanding. We, we grow manipulative. We grow clingy. We grow sometimes violent. We crave love and attention. We cannibalize others emotionally, trying to fill this emptiness in our lives. And all the while, Christ is waiting for us to come to him and say, would you fill me? Would you fill me? He's the only one that can. And as we look at this story, John is telling us we have a great need. We have a great, massive, overwhelming need. And yet we have a greater Savior who can fill us. He is glorious here and in all the nations. So we've seen the scope of the problem. We've seen the solution of the problem. I want us to look directly now at some of the background to this story 
as we seek to answer clearly this question then that we've put before ourselves, what is the good news to the poor? I think we're going to understand that best if we understand three backgrounds or three contexts uh, that are behind this story. The first is uh, from Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel 34, God strongly denounces the bad leaders of Israel. I'm just going to put it plainly. Uh, the shepherds of Israel, the elders of Israel, have been leading badly. And instead of shepherding and caring for the people of Israel, what they've been doing is, uh, in, in a power play and with greed and self-centeredness, they've been, instead of feeding the sheep, they've been devouring the sheep. And so here's how, here's how God speaks to the shepherds of Israel. Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And God in his compassion he says, I will bring about a shepherd. I'll bring my shepherd to care for my people. He's talking about Jesus. He's looking to a time when Christ the Messiah will come and he will be the shepherd that we need. I want to say here that, you know, sometimes the poor are poor because they are victims of religious rulers who manipulate the poor into giving them money, and Candace already referred to this this morning. Um, this happens in this nation, it happens around the world, it happens in Zambia, it happens on the African continent, um, where leaders will stand up and say, you know, um, we need your money. If you give, if you give $10, God's going to turn that into 100 and 1,000, and people just pour their money uh, into uh, the lives of leaders. Um, I wish I had time to tell you a story. I'm gonna, I'll tell you a little snippet of it. Uh, my son was doing Bible translation work in Zambia, about six hours west of Lusaka, the capital. He was at a little, uh, just a little village there and um, working uh, alongside a church. Uh, the pastor had to leave that Sunday morning, and so he invited in a guest preacher. Uh, my son sat through the service, and it was just a hut church. Uh, but that preacher that came in that Sunday morning um, was not preaching the gospel, and uh, he preached a blatant health and wealth gospel, and he asked everybody in that church that morning to stand up and divide yourselves based on what you're wearing, which was a reflection of how much uh, money they made. And so the, the poor people in the church, yeah, I heard somebody gasp, but I, I, this is horrific. Um, so the poor people are standing on this side of the hut, and the wealthier people are standing on this side of the hut. And he said, you people are blessed, and you people are not blessed by God. My, my son is very level-headed. Uh, my son was so angry. He was so angry at the situation. He called me on his phone. We talked for an hour and a half. <laughs> we thought we had an international calling plan. I spent $300 to help my son. Uh, we didn't have the, we hadn't signed up for the plan that we thought we did. Um, letting him process for 90 minutes. It was just horrific. I, I've never heard him so angry. This happens. And the poor are preyed on, not only on the African continent, but often in the inner city. 
because the gospel that's preached to them is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must see churches in the inner cities that are often overlooked and neglected where the gospel needs to be preached. Sorry, a little worked up. When Jesus fed the crowd here in John 6, we see God's shepherd. And let's go ahead and steal the punchline. Who gave his life for the sheep, not fed off of them. Jesus is glorious. And he's the shepherd that we needed. Number two, Jesus is a good king. The second context behind this story is the story of King Herod. Now, Herod is a ruler over this part of Israel. Um, he's, he's overseeing a section that's north of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is feeding the 5,000 close to that area. By the way, I think Jesus has pulled these people away from Herod's territory. I think he's actually drawn them away from Herod's territory um, uh, because he's worried that these 5,000 men um, that are there, that's, I think this is why John mentions 5,000 men, because it's close to the Passover time, and Passover time is a time when you can whip the people of Israel up into a little bit of a frenzy. It's like July 4th on steroids. It's like if you're going to see an insurrection, it's going to be around the Passover. And so Jesus knows that these 5,000 men, and John says this at the end of the story, um, that they were seeking to take him as king. If they're going to do that, Herod's going to go like this. He's going to squash them. He's going to hurt them. So Jesus, as a good shepherd, is protecting them. This is between the, the storyline. It doesn't come out exactly explicitly, but I think that's what's going on here. And so Jesus draws them away from Herod. Herod is the one who has just thrown or will just throw, uh, not sure where the timing is on this, on these two stories, a huge, massive, gluttonous, horrific feast for himself, his birthday celebration, at the end of which John the Baptist loses his head, gets put on a platter, and uh, John loses his life. Herod's birthday feast, gluttonous feast of death, results in death. Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 happens in the wilderness, no food, no palace, but results in fullness and life. Jesus is a better shepherd. Jesus is a better king. Jesus is glorious. The downtrodden status of so many in Rome is directly related to the emperors, the kings of Rome, sucking the money out of the people. The common people are poor because of the heavy taxation of Rome. Jesus, in contrast, teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you're poor and you're hearing him say this, you're saying, what? I have a place in this king's kingdom? That's crazy. I've never heard that. This is really different. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Jesus has come to save souls and bring eternal life. The poor are not tossed aside and told to stay out. They are welcomed in. This is a radical new kind of a ruler. There's never been anybody like this before. Third background, getting closer now even to the core of this text, is the background of the Passover. John has told us that it was around the time of the Passover in verse 4. And by the way, just to throw this in, he says there's a lot of, it's very green, there's a lot of grass there. He's just affirming that, that, that that's the time of the year. If it's going to be grassy, it's going to be right around the time of the Passover. That's how, like I say, John, the scripture is just fun to read. Yeah, and I hope you enjoy it and, and enjoy the details. In feeding the multitude, John anticipates his own flesh and blood which will be given for the life of the world, John 6, 51 through 54. By the way, this, this passage is one of the passages that comes with its own commentary. We, didn't, we don't have time to read the whole rest of the chapter. He draws on the events of the Israelites eating manna that God provided in the wilderness. And then he incorporates the language of the Passover, eating bread and drinking wine. He says this, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So I've just fed you all with bread. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 or the 30,000 and so many other miracles, his healing of the sick, his turning water into wine, those are out of a heart of compassion for those with physical needs. Jesus is compassionate. But even more importantly, they are signs that he has come to heal our soul. Our physical, our physical condition is of great concern to God. Our souls are of even greater concern. And so everyone who experiences poverty firsthand has an even greater need than food and housing. They and we need spiritual food and a spiritual home. And so here's the punchline. Here's the answer. To our question from, John, from Luke 7.22, what does this gospel preach to the poor? Jesus made himself materially poor, vulnerable, and outcast. A person from no important place, Nazareth, who, who is, what good can come out of Nazareth? The son of a carpenter, quote, no place to lay his head, mistreated by authorities, shamed, emptied himself, as Paul says in Philippians 3, Jesus didn't just preach good news to the poor, Jesus became good news to the poor. Jesus is the good news that he preaches. 
the picture we get from the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus becomes the host of a divine feast serving himself. This is why Christ is glorious among the nations. This is what the prophet Isaiah dreamed of when he spoke of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Come, this is what he says, Isaiah, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why can the, why can the poor afford this feast? Because Jesus paid the price on the cross. Jesus came to save you from your sin, which has made us all spiritually poor, all spiritually dead. He became poor so that we might become rich. His perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead is the only hope for all of us. And John records this story not just as history, but as an invitation to you and me. He wants you to see the desperate, massive desperation of our situation, our sin that impoverishes us, separates us from Him. He wants you to see Jesus, God's only salvation from our sin, the solution to the problem. And the story is an invitation to believe in him. This is John's theme. Look to Jesus. Believe in him. Have faith in him. Live for him. Have you done that? This is a missions conference. We're thinking about missionaries elsewhere. We're talking about people elsewhere, sort of, but not really. We're all recipients of this message. Today is a good day to review. Do I really believe this message? Do I understand that I am in a condition that is unsolvable apart from Jesus Christ? What is good news for the poor? It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. What a glorious, glorious Savior we have. Let's pray. Our great Father, when we look at the condition of our heart, we can do nothing but sink to our knees, cry out to you for salvation, or cry out to you with thanksgiving again today for your grace and your mercy to us who were dead in our trespasses and sins, poor to the point of bankruptcy, and unable to do anything about it. And you and your rich, lavish grace, mercy, and love for us stooped down. And Christ gave to us all that we have needed and more. We thank you for this great Savior. Would you renew in us our joy 
And would you, out of that joy, cause us to overflow as ambassadors of Jesus Christ with the message of reconciliation and the message of lavish riches for all. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.